all the things of the flesh that are there, lust, vanity, greed, jealousy, envy, all the works of the flesh, and so on, that inhabit a human mind and make it what it is. Selfish, greedy, you know, you just name a, a negative thing, and we look at the world around us and what's it full of? Lying and fraud and cheating and stealing and adultery and uh, every sin and every immoral practice. But that doesn't mean that there is a side of the human mind and emotions that isn't kind and gentle and loving toward each other. And you find some people, indeed, up if anywhere, that are wonderful, lovable people to be around. But even they have a darker side. And say everybody has a dark side, you know. Everybody has parts of their mind, parts of their thought process that isn't, you wouldn't want to take out and just show everybody, right? Now, when God was forming the creation, why did he make us that way? Well, he could have made us different, could he? He could have made us like uh, some of the animals that are loving, and he could have made us all black labradors. Just happy, always fun, like the bowl of cherries, whipped cream, you know? He could have made our minds in many different ways since he was doing the formulating, the designing, the creating. And he designed us a certain way, and here we are, and look at the world we live in. And a lot of people look at around at the wars and the suffering and the fighting and the lack of peace and the problems in the world and think, why did God do this? And they don't understand God, and sometimes they blame God and say, well, he did it. Well, either that or the devil made me do it or whatever. But we see a world that is not a really good place to live. The little pockets of peace here and there, but they are in pretty big pockets. And they get stuck poured in on top of those pockets. So the father, and he who became the son, long, long ago, decided that they would share their creation with created beings. And the first thing they did was create angels and other the 24 elders and the various beings that he had created to be around his throne. And it was beautiful, wonderful. Everything was peaceful, happy, good. Because God designed things in a way that it's good. Then, a rebellion occurred. Because over a period of time, and I don't know how long, the Bible doesn't give us any clues as to the length of time, but at some point, one of those created beings, and there were four cherubim that covered the throne of God. Scripture shows us now there are only three. Gabriel, Michael, and uh, Michael. This is only three total. Now there's only two left. Uh, huh? Yeah, hello, sister of the person. But at any rate, at some point, he began to think that I'm pretty important, and I'm pretty smart, and God gets all the glory, everybody's singing hallelujah to him, and all the angels saying amen, hallelujah, 
wonderful elders bow and worship him as the scripture tells us. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bright myself. Well, who gave him a Did he become fun? But he began to get fun. He began to get a little better. And this must have worked on him over a period of time. And he began to think, you know, God is no less better than I am. Matter of fact, I think I'm just as good as God. I think I'm equal. And maybe he thought that for a while. Now I'm just developing a possibility of story here of what may have gone through his mind and letting where he went. But at some point in time, he thought, I just had a brilliant idea. I am better. Actually, I have more power. I'm smarter. Uh, I think I could rule the universe better than God. And he had a bunch of 30 angels that he was in charge of. And he may have turned to one of them and said, you know, don't you think I'm pretty smart? Oh, yeah, you're my boss. I follow you, as he, as he says. Huh. That's kind of neat. Maybe he talked to another one of two or five or maybe. And he convinced them that, you know, I'm pretty smart. And from there, it went to an absolute rebellion where he tried to take over God's throne, and he had convinced a third of the angels that he was right. And a God was not all he was up to be, and that he really should be the ruler. So they had a great war in heaven, and he found out that he would get cast down, and he wasn't quite as bright and smart and powerful as he thought he was. But he took a third of the angels with him. That's a huge rebellion. That left a hole in the creation of God that he had made. One archangel gone, and a third of the angels. Now, he had had a complete mistake, he had a beauty for it. But one angel's rebellion led to a third of the kingdom, essentially, being divided and taken away. That made for a not-so-peaceful universe, now it's divided. And at some point, Father, and he who became the son, the no president of the Old Testament, thought, you know, we're the only true God beings here. And so that's the creation. The angels are created, temple elders are created. Uh, we need a family. We need to expand. And I'm sure they talked that over for quite some time and began to devise a plan how that should be and how they could go about it, how they would create human beings. And they even say in Scripture that they decided long before they ever even created man that Christ himself would have to die. He was slain before the foundation of the world. So he was as good as gone. As good as prepared to die before mankind was ever put there. So they decided how they would resurface the earth, how they would change it. In Genesis 1-1, it shows that the, there was no land sticking out to the sea, it was dark, it was void. And then they began a creation by causing land to appear again. 
because in a beginning in Genesis 1-1, not the B beginning, the earth was already here, it was just without form and void at that time, probably as a result of Satan's rebellion. And you sent him here to rule the earth. <coughs> but he had become a dark being. So they thought about it and decided how they would design all the animals, all the plants, everything that appears, clouds, rain, cycles, everything. Well, one of the critical areas and a key area was how would we design a human mind? When we gave animals instinct, they did not give them the power to reason the way we do. I mean, you know, they can reason in a rudimentary fashion. If folks can figure out how to get his beak in a bottle or a monkey can figure out how to feed a banana or, you know, they, they can do a little bit of reason, but they can't think like we think. They don't have the options that we have. For the most part, they react on instinct, like it is built in to causes them to do what all the generations of animals before them do. When they're born, they automatically start looking for mama. It's just automatic. And everything they do in their life is something that has been programmed ahead of time that they will do. We, on the other hand, and thought and plan and devise and imagine and decide and do what we wish. Can we not? And you see a lot of people doing a lot of different things. Now you would think, if designed like the animals, we would, the dog born would do as the dog did, the cat born would do as the cat did. But you don't always do what your parents did, do you? Sometimes you rebel against them and go a totally different direction than what your parents tried to teach you and wanted you to go, and uh, you went a different direction. It's something totally different than what they wanted. When Adam and Eve were created, they were in a garden near here, and they were in a totally peaceful environment. They had everything they needed to eat, everything to drink. They had all the clothes they needed, none. They had perfect weather so that they could be comfortable day and night with no clothes. They were the only two there, nothing to be jealous of. They didn't fight and kill them because their minds were clean to God. God had come and talked to them in the garden and given them instructions. And they followed those instructions, and life is good. No problems whatsoever. And God had looked at all the creation, everything we created, kept saying, it is good. Very good. Everything I've made is good. And then, from the right side of the stage, comes another onto the scene. Caesar had become Satan the devil, approached him. And their minds at that point were unclouded. There was no jealousy, no bitterness, no selfishness. They were, they were, everything was good. And all he had to do was make a suggestion. Just one suggestion. Did God really say that? Hmm. Oh, God wouldn't have said that. That tree's good. You can eat that. Look at it. It looks good, doesn't it? I bet it tastes good. Try it. Who? Who see? Just that easy. And what was suddenly unleashed? 
began to accuse each other. They got began to blame each other. They began to say, it's his fault, not her fault, not our fault. So selfishness suddenly appeared, lack of mercy, judgment, condemnation, every negative thing you can think. The marriage relationship went down the tubes. The relationship with God went down the tubes immediately. They'd never been ashamed before, and suddenly they started grabbing leads because who knew it? Nobody told them that before. So all kinds of things change in their minds and emotions, and their lives change. And then they got kicked out of the garden that they had been put in and told that your life is going to become very difficult and bitter. You'll work by the sweat of your brow and on and on. Pain and child there, you name it. And then one of their sons killed the other son. And, and I, it was just a mess, I think. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us the human mind is deceitful and desperately wicked, but he can know it. He can grasp it. He can understand it. You know, you want to be good, you wind up doing evil. Or you think evil, whether you do it or not. So the human mind has become a morass of conflicting emotions, conflicting beliefs. People can't get along with each other because of the human mind. Why did God create that way? Or why did he create it so it could be that easily and quickly influenced. Was the baby's born? Is it immediately deceitful and desperately wicked? No, I don't think so. But how long does it take before they learn selfishness and greed? And that's my fault, you leave it alone? I mean, it starts pretty quick. Change me now or else? Well, it doesn't take long. Feed me now or else? All hell's going to break loose around here. You don't feed me? And it does. How long does it take before selfishness shows up? Not very long. And then that individual starts out as a little baby that hasn't had wrong influence, but there within that mind and that emotional structure is trouble that will soon be unleashed, and it won't take long. I mean, as soon as they get the air, they begin to rebound. If they don't immediately, they have to get slapped on the backside of it. And you, yeah, I would too. You did, I did, probably. But I did. Don't remember. But let's back off from this now before we get discouraged with ourselves. Why did God make us so easily influenced by evil? You can raise your kid to be good. And how long does it take that kid when he gets in a crowd of kids that are smoking and drinking and fornicating? and taking drugs and so on. How long does it take him to get corrupted? And it happens just almost overnight, it seems, doesn't it? But so quickly, how does he go? Okay. Why did a loving God, who wanted us in his family, free us so susceptible to evil? He created Satan, or Hillel, as he originally was, with a positive mind, a positive outlook, appreciative attitude, all the good things of the Spirit of God, and then it turned 
And I believe that God looked at the situation and said, yeah, we'd like to expand our family. We'd like to have more beings like ourselves. But how can we accomplish this without there ever being a rebellion against it such as we have already experienced? How can we be sure that the people that turned into God and made spirit, as 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and other places indicate, in an afterlife where we are on a higher plane than we are humans? They decided they would make us out of dirt and mortal so that we could die. With the angels, they created them and given them everlasting life. So unless they willingly give that up, they can't be destroyed. And they're selfish enough in their misery that they don't want to give it up. Now I think it's obvious that they could give it up if they so chose. Christ was an immortal being who gave up that immortality by choice and came and died for you and me. And he was dead. He wasn't still alive, he was dead for three days and three nights, and, and then he was resurrected. So I know that a spirit being can voluntarily give up life and die. But they're so selfish and so vain that they won't give that up. But when God made man, whom he intended to be higher than the angels, the Hebrews even says, who were for a little while made lower than the angels. But he wants us to be in his kingdom, and he wants us to be on an equal par with him. Family. When you have family, they're human beings, are they not? They're just like you. They're a microcosm of you. And when they grow up, they look maybe more like you. They act like you. The older they get, the more they act like mom and dad is the age. So, like kind begets like kind, as God says. So, if God begat us, and we are Christ's first begotten son, and then he was raised to glory, so he says, we also are begotten of God's spirit, and we can be raised to glory. So, his purpose is to create more for his family on the God level, not on the angel level, but above that. So, a little while made lower. Now, he had experienced rebellion. Now, fearful of the same reaction from mankind, he made us so that we can be destroyed, go into a lake of fire, if you will, which not too many will, but there will be weeping and asking of If there are some that he does not believe, cannot grasp, that they will be forever faithful to him. It would be better that they be destroyed rather than being miserable, wretched, angry beings like the demons of fallen angels are today. So he designed our minds to be just like Satan's mind. Prone to rebellion, selfishness, lack of mercy, anger, bitterness, every form of negative emotion. However, combined with that, he gave the capacity for love and mercy and kindness, compassion, caring for others, sharing with others. So within our minds, there's a mixture of all those possibilities. Now, throughout history, from the time 
Adam and Eve were first betrayed, first tempted, and fell for it. There has been this mixture in there of people trying to overcome good and usually succeeding. That's what you're in there a little bit. You're not. Sometimes you come out thinking the way you ought to be thinking and thinking godly. But sometimes, most of the time, we tend to walk in the flesh. He says we need to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. So we have to control those minds. What he did is he put us down here and he gave us a mind that is highly susceptible to negative emotions, to rebellion, to self-hurt, longing for power over others, all the things that Satan came to be. He will not give you eternal life until he absolutely is confident that you will never rebel against him. What did he say to Abraham when he would sacrifice Isaac? Abraham gathered up the sticks, put them on the altar, laid his son there, probably tied him down, pulled out his knife, and raised it. He got the stop. Now I know you will be faithful to me forevermore. I know I can start a nation through you. I know I can trust you, Abraham. And that's exactly what he's trying to do with you and me. He's trying to put us to trial, to trouble, to tribulation, to difficulty, to tests, to experience, through failure, through sickness and sin, to get us to turn to him and to turn to him so wholeheartedly that he knows that mind is focused, it is directed, it is committed to worship God forevermore. He has to be sure that he had made us with minds that automatically thought right, Automatically you're uplifting, automatically sharing and giving and serving and loving. How would he ever know? He had created Bilal, who became Satan, with that kind of mind. But somewhere in there it turned. Satan had never been to trial, trouble, and tribulation. He had never experienced heartache or tears. Ever in his life. So when he got prideful and rebelled, it made a big mess. And God does not want that repeated. He has just said it instead of ever being repeated. So he has set things up here. He said even put, put men in positions of authority. Now that's an automatic problem, isn't it? Isn't that an automatic test, trial, trouble, and tribulation? Doesn't that work against people's nature? You know any better than I am. Why should he be in charge? It's an automatic downer for a human being to look at another man and say, Why is he in charge? I don't think so. What Satan says. That God has taken men who are fallible, who make mistakes, who sin, every one of them except Christ, has. And he's told us to follow them as they follow Christ. 
Now that is an automatic recipe for rebellion for human beings. Whether it be in business or in church or in a fraternity house. Whatever it is. Because people get jealous and they think I can do better. And why are you there and you're not very good for anything. So everything in life, people tend not to be faithful one to another. Husbands and wives, friends, family members, betray one another, treat one another, jealous of one another. You're the favorite. Why are you the favorite? I'm just as good, I'm better than that. Why do they like me better? Now, on and on it goes. Bottom line, God intended this life to be hard. He intended it to be hard. He intended it to be frustrating and maybe even depressing. So that we would learn over a period of life, whatever it took, that Satan's way leads to misery and suffering and hate and death. And to have our nose rubbed in it so deeply that we would come to the place that is totally repugnant to us to react as human beings react. And that we would change and begin to seek him and his spirit so that we begin to think with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all those fruits of his spirit. That's what he wants in the kingdom forevermore. Peace and happiness and security. So we have to put it through this. He has to get us to the point where we are so sick of being a human being that we know we need a change. And that when he gives us that change, the experiences we have here will always be there to let us know I don't ever want to rebel against God. Because he will give us everything you can imagine that is good. Life eternal, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more hurt, no more pain. All those things he promises. But he can't give them to you until he's convinced your mind has come to the place that no longer wants to be rebellious or hateful or mean or selfish or unmerciful. Forgive him. Look, that's where we have to be. That's a goal in our purpose. And I felt it was an important thing to just realize that you know, God created our minds the way he did on purpose. And it's a very good purpose. A boot camp isn't found in the military, and it's not found in the spiritual realm either. You go through a lot of hard knocks and a lot of pain and misery and push-ups and, you know, life is tough and then you die. But during the period of time we're here, we're supposed to learn. You ever notice he started life out close to a thousand years for a human being? And then shortly after Noah's deluge, he shortened it to about 500 years. Then people began living about 250 years. And then God, in Scripture, said, I make man's life about 70 years, give or take, and if you live beyond three, four, and ten, you're on the hard side. So he kept cutting it down. In other words, he realized enough is enough. If he watched mankind have to live through misery and suffering and making a living by the sweat of his brow and pain and childbirth and murder and uh, sorcery and 
you know, every negative thing that is in the world. He says, a man shouldn't have to live that long under those conditions. I think he can learn his lesson quicker than that. So he finally shows it to about 70 years. So you and I have roughly that. We might make it to 80 or 90 and a very, very few to 100 in this day and age. But he expects us to go through enough misery and test, file, file, test, and tangle tongues to learn that we don't want to be human anymore. That we need to be God. That we need to change. That's why he created our minds. Our minds, basically, he tells us, are these people and desperately wicked. Uh, his words, he's driving us. And if you look at the parenthood of man's history, that's pretty much all he's been. Very, very few periods of peace and prosperity. Right now, this whole world is covered with almost every place to some kind of war or conflict or tribal warfare or something that threatens lives and people are being killed. And there's hate everywhere. Muslims against Christians and Christians against Jews and Jews against themselves and stuff. Whatever. It's there everywhere. Right, it was it's kind of, I hadn't really thought of it entirely this way. I knew that God created our minds with this negativity, and I knew we had to overcome it. But why would you design something like we cut on purpose? So, when our lives are over, he absolutely knows that we will be faithful forevermore. We need to know what we're up against and why. It's all about trust. It's all about confidence. God having confidence that his spirit will work through us to develop holy, righteous character in spite of the negativity that is in the nature that takes and forms dust in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, of going. I don't know how long it took him to pervert the angels, but it didn't take him very long with man. God had put that capacity within man's mind when they were created. And, it was, and he knew it. He knew Christ would have to come. He knew which way we would go. And we've gone that way ever since. Every one of us is infected over time. So when you have trials and troubles and tribulation, didn't God say too much tribulation entered the kingdom? Psalm 34, 19. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver them out of them all. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. Who can deliver me from this body of sin and death? Only Christ. The other way you can overcome and tame your human nature is through prayer, study of God's Word, and seeking God with your whole heart, and obeying Him in spite of the souls of the flesh until you come to the point where God says, I trust that. That one will always be faithful throughout all eternity. I want him in my kingdom as part of the brightest breath. We all want him to make that judgment on us. So I just thought from around the campfire last night that I kind of expanded on, and I think it's, I think it's important for us to face and look at the reality of what we are and what we need to become so that God would say, yes, I want you in my kingdom. I can trust you. I believe in you. And there will be a few out of 50 billion that have lived, more or less. And then 
What's he going to do? <coughs> and the millennium, spoken with his picture by this piece, these tabernacles, he's going to bind Satan for a thousand years. Satan's influence will not be there, and the world will live in peace. Human nature and the human mind, apart from Satan, isn't near as big a problem as it is for us today. Do we realize how big an influence Satan has on society and culture and upon our very minds because he's the prince of the power of the air? And he can broadcast like a radio station evil, nasty, negative thoughts that our minds will pick up on and act upon. So we have a double problem. But without him, during the millennium, peace will reign. And if you do try to do something wrong, any of your teachers will say, this is the way, go this way. Oh, okay, sorry I was getting off the track. But most people will be saved, because all Israel should be saved, Romans 11, 26. Not every individual, but the vast majority. But Satan will have to be taken away, because he was the one who rebelled in the first place, and mankind has rebelled against God ever since. And now he's calling a few out and saying, I want you to give up your rebellion. I'm even going to put men over you. I'm going to make it tough. Since you have somebody like me talk to you. And I got problems too. You know, I have to fight every day to keep my attitude right, to do the things I ought to do and not do things I shouldn't do or think. And I, I, really, I, I really do believe I never have broken more than ten commandments in one day. That's all. Now, there may have been a few days where I only broke two or three or four, but then if you break one, you've broken them all. And then in your attitude and leaving out stuff you should do and not doing stuff you ought to do, and, you know, on and on it goes with such human beings. We all have to fight. But let's focus on the facts of why we're the way we are and how Satan has influences. He is the present ruler of this world. He directs the leaders of this world. And a lot of them openly worship. They have their signs. I've seen them on some of our presidents and congresses. Sign of the devil, sign of the devil. They're Satan worship. And the society has gone that way. And this is not the kingdom of God. This is a mess. It is a mess. You're a mess and I'm a mess. Well, let's clean up the mess. Yeah. But this, it is what it is. Let's clean it up. Let's get to the point that God can look at you and look at me and say, that one is faithful, that one is true, and I am convinced by what they face and how they handle it and what they've done and where they are today, that they'll be that way and there'll be peace in my kingdom as long as that being is there. God's still working with us. He's not done with us yet. So there's, there's plenty of hope. He's all for us. He wants us there. But he needs to be sure in his own mind. Aren't you that way with, weren't you that way with your children as they grew up? Did you dare leave them for a minute? Or three minutes? At one point, you didn't dare leave them on the sidewalk to throw them back in the house to be in the street. You didn't dare trust them with this or that. And then as they grew and they learned, there was, you found there were more things you could trust them with and there were things you couldn't. And as they got older, there were more things that you couldn't, perhaps, than you could. You know, that's the experience of fairhood. 
So God started us out little bitty, and we have to start learning from our parents. In the very beginning, we need to learn to be upstanding citizens who obey the law. And the whole goal of parenthood is to take a rebellious little snot who cries for everything he wants and rebels and kicks his fist and slowly teach maturing, helping grow. And your object as a parent is to give him more control and you less control until finally you can say, you can live without him. You can live independently and be upstanding, and I won't have to be on your neck about drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or, or 120 miles car chasers or whatever. You're an adult now, son, daughter. I trust you to live properly. That's the goal of the parent. Not to dominate that child all his life, as some parents do. Hey, honey, you're 60. It's about time you get what I said. Some ever turn late. They don't understand what parenthood is for. Now, God is our father, he's our parent, and the mother is cast in the role of the church to help point the children to the father. It's children.